Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. That's right, citizens of Perfectville and Doll fans everywhere find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. That's right, golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 550, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, 50%. 50%. Bet Online, where the game starts. In a world that's perfect lies a perfect little town where one team stands alone. But now, something's stirring that will change this place forever. Perfect. Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast for your Miami Dolphins, part of the Believe Network, streaming on Sirius XM and TuneIn Radio. I am Sam Marcoux, and he is the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer. Of course, I'm talking about the good doctor himself, Dr. Christopher Cullen. Doctor, how in the hell are you, my friend? Sam Yule Marcoux. I am fantastic. Why? Why? Why, Sam? Why am I why? fantastic? Why are you fantastic? Ooh, 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 why? It's football season, bro. It's finally here. Andrew Siciliano and NFL Network said something like, it's been 275 days since the last football game. Feels like an eternity. It's finally here. Uh, kicks off Thursday night with the Bills and the Rams, which, of course, we're all going to be Rams fans. And then the Miami Dolphins, first week, Patriots, home, hard rock, new coach, we got this, buddy. It's exciting as hell. I, You look like you're about ready to run through walls and just run to the game down in South Florida here on Sunday afternoon. You are fired up. I can feel it. I can see it. And uh, I'm right there with you, buddy. So there, there's so much to get into. We also have a great guest here. We have Christopher Price, award-winning reporter from the Boston Globe, written multiple books about the New England Patriots. He knows what is going on there in Boston when it comes to Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and the rest of the New England Patriots. I sat down and talked to him actually not too long ago. Got some very interesting insight from him, Chris. A lot of good intel into the mind of the of the dweeb Bill Belichick. When we talk to Christopher Price, he'll be on in just a little bit. We've got you know our okayest preview ever coming up here in segment number three between the Patriots and the Dolphins. Only Chris Cullen and Sam Marcoux can be okay when it comes to game previews, ladies and gentlemen, we'll give our predictions. And of course, I think we have to start with the news of the week so far here, Chris. And that is, of course, that the Miami Dolphins have released their depth chart. The Miami Dolphins have told everybody who their first stringers are, who their second stringers are, who their fifth stringers are in some positions. Uh, nothing too earth shattering here other than when you actually get down to special teams. There's a couple of names there that I think are raising some eyebrows within the town of Perfectville, all the citizens are concerned about the punt returners because our first stringers and our second stringers there, Chris, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are your punt returners, at least for now, for the Miami Dolphins here in 2022. Your thoughts on your superstar wide receiver duo also doing special teams duties. Don't mind it at all. 
I'm definitely on the opposite side of the majority of folks with this. Um, it's football. So every time he goes across the middle, are we going to take out slants now because it's dangerous to go across the middle statistically? Are we going to take away bubble screens because there's a possibility that the wide receiver misses a block? I mean, this is the point here where it gets to if, if the best player plays at that position, and I like what McDaniel's doing with it. I was just watching the replay of the Bills-Chiefs conference uh, playoff game last week. or la- I'm sorry, from last year. And Tyreek Hill was returning punts. He knows what he's doing. He's a veteran. He won't take unnecessary shots. He is dangerous and dynamic with the ball in his hands. So why take those four or five plays uh, out of your your game plan when it comes to uh, playing football? Yeah, there's a couple things here. And Mike McDaniel, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, that yards are yards, right? Whether you get them on the ground or if you're getting them through the air or if you're returning punts, yards are yards. And he wants his best players on the field to gain as much yardage as he possibly can with every single play. I do appreciate and understand that mindset. And there is precedent there with Tyreek Hill, as you mentioned, and even going back further to Tim Brown. Tim Brown is a Hall of Fame wide receiver for mainly the Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, Los Angeles Raiders, whatever, as well as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, returned punts his entire career on top of that. It was an extra element that Tim Brown brought to those Raiders and Buccaneers teams, and he was very, very good at it. I appreciate putting your best players on the field as often as you can to maximize and try to gain the advantage. Here's the issue that I have. Everyone's afraid of him being injured. And I agree with you. Like you can't play scared. Scared football is not going to win a Super Bowl. It's not going to win a playoff game. Scared football can cost you actually, you know, wins and losses here in, in this in this uh NFL season. But this came out interesting earlier this year. Special teams plays accounted for 30% of ACL tears and 29% of muscle injuries to lower extremities, even though they represent only 17% of the plays in a typical NFL game. So extraordinarily amount, a large amount of disproportionate amount of injuries are happening in special teams, specifically on your gunners and your returners. So that's the part that's concerning is that you're seeing a higher rate of injuries for these punt returners than really the amount of plays that are in a game. Here's the other part that's staggering here, Chris. You're seeing less punts happen in every single game. There's just statistically less punts happening, uh, mainly because teams are going for it more. They're scoring more. So there's less opportunities to punt. Kickers are kicking it from 60 some odd yards out. So the punter isn't uh, an, uh, an entity that's gone away, but the punt return plays have gone down which tells you, okay, well, then maybe there's less opportunity for somebody to get hurt. However, the rate of injury on punt returns has gone up. That's the only concern. It'll take one injury to Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell as a punt returner, and everybody is going to turn to Mike McDaniel and pull out their pitchforks and start poking them with it. But then we have to turn around, and those same folks need not to cheer if Tyreek Hill breaks it for a touchdown because he just does things that other players don't do. Um, I take it back to what you you said and what I was alluding to. You cannot play this contact sport scared and in what punt return, maybe three, four a game uh, possibly, you know, I would tell if I'm Mike McDaniel, sure. Maybe I'd tell him to like, there has to be at least 10 yard cushion between you and the the first gunner or you're fair catching it or letting it bounce like period. Yeah, I get that. But like not having them out there at all, how much, how many yards are we leaving on the, off the field? Uh, what big plays are we leaving off the field? I, the best player get the ball in his hands. If you can, it also forces them to, um, you know, have a really strong punter and a, a punt team, not make a mistake. Um, and then when it comes to your statistics, you know, how many of those are guys that play only special teams and they're cold, they're coming off the bench and have only played four plays that game. 
it's Van Ginkle who hasn't even got in, and all of a sudden he's running down the field full speed trying to tackle a guy. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are playing the entire game. They're playing 40 to 60 snaps on offense. So they're loose. They're warm. Uh, there might be something to that. We we won't really know. But the statistics, honestly, I didn't know them going into this conversation, and I started things off. So it it, it does it does make me question a little bit more. But I'm still standing firm that you, you just can't play scared. No, and and Jalen Waddle returned punts last year, and he was fine. Tyreek Hill returned punts last year, and he was fine. So the precedent for those specific players is there as well. So I don't think it's anything to be concerned about until it's something to be concerned about, if that makes any sense. Here's the other thing. Going back to Jakeem Grant, going back to this preseason with Preston Williams, I think a bigger issue other than the injuries and even more so than the return yardage that Mike McDaniel alluded to is securing the football. Right? Is there a more deflating type of turnover? Maybe a pick six late in the game, but is there a more deflating, like you're getting the ball back? That's literally what a punt is, right? You're securing that ball to put your offense back on the field and hopefully go down and score some sort of points. Is there anything more deflating than your defense just made a stop they kick the ball and your guy muffs that punt or fumbles that punt and the other team now returns it or at least recovers it most likely on their side of the field on, on the other side of the field and it's like they completed a 75 yard you know bomb route how deflate, deflating is that to the defense those guys exactly. just sat down and grabbed a cup of water and all of a sudden shit i gotta put my helmet back on and do it again for another four plays at minimum so yeah they, it is very deflating other than a pick six we can put a pole up i think i don't think there's anything worse than that other than yeah. maybe a strip sack on a quarterback in the in your own uh your own zone but a punt absolutely but even that, I mean, I think that's situational and you have to have the context of when in the game. And if you get a strip sack with a fumble and it's, you know, you're up 27 to 10, it's less dangerous than, you know, a freaking muffed punt. I mean, that's just the most deflating, like, oh my God, we just made the stop and now we got to go back out there again on a short field. You know, thanks a lot, punt return guy who didn't actually do his job. So to me, I think if you're looking at ball security, you want Tyreek Hill and you want Jalen Waddle, the guys with the best hands on the team back there catching the ball. Here's the other thing, I guess, to your point, if there's four to eight punts a game, I'm going to guess, I don't have the stats on this, but roughly half of those are going to be fair catches or they're going to go into the end zone or it's going to be some sort of coffin kick going out of bounds. So it does mitigate even further the amount of contact that the punt returners are going to have. It's just scary when you have those like, I'm going to fair catch it type moments and they catch it and then somebody just rams right into their thigh or into their knee or just takes them out. Even if it's a personal foul, that guy's now out of the game and you're going to start questioning. Great. Now our offense, which is precluded on Jalen Waddle. Tyreek Hill and speed is going to be no longer a thing because they got injured on punt return when we probably should have put somebody else out there and let them, you know, uh, take the hit, so to speak. It's kind of weird to say because they're all human beings, but uh, what's, yeah. what's Noah Igbenogany doing? <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that Noah Igbenogany not starting, is actually that's sure. <laughs> not starting as a cornerback based on these depth charts, but he is one of our kick returners, uh, which is interesting. So he is going to be doing something for the Miami Dolphins, if not playing defensive back uh, here in week one. Uh, but no, he is not starting. It's Nick Needham and Xavier Howard starting on the boundary. And then I believe um, he's coming in as the nickel or even the dime, depending on how you know the situation uh, plays itself out for the New England Patriots here in week one. But anything else on this depth chart stand out to you outside of the punt return uh, responsibilities? Was there anything there that made you kind of go, wow, did not see that coming. Um, the only thing I can really think of is Liam Eikenberg starting at left guard. I know he had a lot of time there in the offseason, but it is you've seen it before where like that guy starts during all the preseason games and then he's like third on the depth chart and then regular season begins. Um, so it's I'm hoping 
especially after watching uh, Baldinger, Brian Baldinger's uh, Baldy's breakdown of our run scheme and what Liam Eikenberry is doing as far as pulling guards and traps, uh, bellies, things like that. Um, it's what we wanted and hoped for with Applebaum was hired is that he, these guys are good players. They just weren't coached properly or put in a position to uh, lean on their strengths. So if he can play next to um, our, our, our Armstead there at left tackle, and that makes him a better player again, something you and I have talked about having veteran leadership on that line to help those young guys, as well as real good coaching. Um, I, was, I was interested to see that also exciting to see a name. When you go down the line, I was thinking about this. Uh, you go down the line and you're just like, there's our players. You posted something earlier uh, a few days ago on YouTube. Uh, well, it was from YouTube, but on Twitter about um, the last one of the times we beat the Patriots. And I, I made a comment about how random the roster was at the time. Yeah. It was just a weird time. To, you know, it's Jay Cutler throwing passes to Jakeem Grant and Anthony Fasano with Rashad Jones on the sideline, but Parker Stills and Landry and Kenyon Drake, who like in my brain, they played in a different era than right. Fasano. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it was, it was really weird. So scrolling down our depth chart and you get to linebacker six, Melvin Ingram. And you're just like, that's right. We got Melvin Ingram, bro. Like this is really fucking cool. And it's nice to add him and Trey flowers to a young nucleus of a team. That's already been a strength on, a, on our franchise, our defense. And that's what good teams do. So I'm hoping that's what we've done. I hope they still have gas in the tank and it's going to be interesting to see how they, um, you know, kind of rotate those guys out uh, who plays in the third down passing situations when we need to stop and who steps up. I mean, they're going to be fresh. It's gonna be cool to see. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you a lot to kind of talk about right there. Let's just go back to the offensive line because I do think the dynamics of Eichenberg at left guard and Connor Williams as your starting center was up for a lot of debate, especially late in the preseason. Uh, Connor Williams, I think everyone assumed he would be our left guard and we'd have that completely rebuilt on the left-hand side with Tron Armstead and Connor Williams, as it turns out, maybe because of Dieter's injury or just some other reasons. Connor Williams is now going to be our center, at least to start the year. And there's been a lot of debate, Chris, about whether Connor Williams is actually a good center or not. You know, if you look at some of the uh, the snaps in preseason, some are a little high, some are a little bit to the left or to the right. He's got to dial that in. You can't have, you know, uh, high snaps on your shotgun formations go over to his head and completely destroy an opportunity to score or move the chains or whatever the case may be. So I am interested to see if that is going to be the long-term solution. They invested a decent amount of money in years into Connor Williams, and they are seemingly taking the approach of taking the best five offensive linemen and putting them on the field because that's going to give us the best position to block and win, right? But Connor Williams and Liam Eikenberg, I think are, are going to be an interesting tandem on the inside and again, for Liam Eichenberg's sake, he's going to be a pulling guard. He's going to be doing things that he's never done, or at least hasn't done, uh, for the Miami Dolphins quite yet. And he is book bookmarked, uh, bookended on either end by veterans who've done it before. So he has, I think, the means to succeed as your left guard. You also have Austin Jackson on the right tackle side, who's looked considerably better this yes. preseason so far. But I'm interested to see what he's going to do as the right tackle, technically the blind side for Tua Tungabailoa. That might be an area that's going to be changed because then all of a sudden Greg Little might come in as your swing tackle, depending on how Austin Jackson does there. So that offensive line, I think there's still some questions going into week one, but I think we're better off than we were last year when it comes to the offensive line, Chris. 
Oh yeah. And, and it's everything we wanted, you know, when you, you throw the big money at, at, at Armstead, who, by the way, saints are totally regretting that move right now because they are like down, like to like their second, third string left tackle. Uh, they're scouring the free agent market right now and looking for them. And here we got Armstead and South beach ready to go. Um, so yeah, the line is always going to be a question for us because it has been just dreadful for years. Um, if that is fixed, Sam, and we add some fixtures to our defense, man, like I know it's always, everyone's always excited. We're O and O right now. Um, but uh, there's, there's meaningfulness there. There's meat to that, but on that bone, if we can just shore up those, those few things and get a running game. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, kind of going over to the defensive side of the ball, like you said, uh, very interesting to see Noah Igbenogane, still not a starter. Nick Needham will be on the boundary. Uh, Noah Igbenogane may not even be your nickelback, depending on how they decide to deploy defensive backs in this game against the New England Patriots, which we will be previewing later. The most okayest game preview ever for the Patriots and the Dolphins coming in segment number three. Uh, But Melvin Ingram, uh, Ingram, like you talked about, I think is listed as a starter for the Miami Dolphins now. And you mentioned some veterans. Uh, this team, I think two years ago, was the youngest in the league. Very We're young. now one of the oldest. Have you noticed that? We are actually one of the oldest teams now. I think we're the seventh oldest team in terms of average age. That kind of makes sense. We've got a rookie young head coach. We've got a lot of new pieces that we have brought in in terms of players from around the league. And sometimes when you do that, you bring in veterans to help stabilize when other places, when other areas are you know, a little bit. Uh, uh, we had a running newer. gag on our show that no one was over 30. I mean, that's yeah. how young we were. So my, Mighty has uh, had the changes been. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you alluded to, you know, uh, some of these uh, defenders and Melvin Ingram and, and Trey Flowers. What was interesting is, uh, and you'd mentioned this to me, Channing Tindall is now third string. The first yeah. pick that we had in this last draft, this rookie linebacker who's flashed at times here in preseason is listed, at least on the depth chart, to start the season as a third stringer. But if you look, Chris, I think all the rookies, Eric Azukanma, the wide receiver, he's listed as a fifth the fifth wide receiver in a, in a wide receiver room of five. Um, obviously, Skylar Thompson, the third quarterback, he's a rookie. He's the third. He's the last off the bench for the quarterbacks. Just about all the rookies are slotted towards the end of this roster. I'm wondering if that is a mentality thing uh, for this coaching staff to say, hey, you're a rookie. you got to earn yourself up the ladder with regular season playing time and practice. Yeah, 100%. I can actually, uh, you know, it's out of respect to the Duke Rileys, Andrew Van Ginkles and Sam McGovern, guys that are there. The first game, all of a sudden, you know, because of a couple of preseason snaps, this guy's already ahead of me. Like, it just that's just out of respecting. And, and, and when it comes to football, that's a big deal. I mean, it actually even happened to my son who um, was promoted to varsity as a true freshman, and he was in a battle the entire preseason with two seniors. Um, and, and he still had to wear his JB jersey. So of all the varsity wears white at practice. He's one of two kids in a black jersey at practice, you know, running through there because he had to earn it. He had to earn that white one. Um, and it's just like what they do with the logos, you know, for rookies before you put them on your helmet. So, yeah, I'm really hoping Channing Tindall gets out there, who changed his number, by the way. We have a right. couple of number changes. He's 41 now. So look for 41. Anytime he does get on the field, he's got to do what I tell the kids when I coach them, Sam. You make me take you off the field. If you're making plays, I will not. So once you're between those white lines, Lines, go make plays. That's what we drafted you for. That's what you did at Georgia. Go, uh, go stand out. Yeah. Speaking of number changes, Miles Gaskin, who made the roster, that was one of the more surprising ones uh, for me. I did not think Miles Gaskin was had a snowball's chance in hell, considering what we invested into the running back position here this offseason of making this roster. But goes back if you if you listen to this podcast regularly, Citizens of Perfectville, you will see that both Chris and I said the approach that Miles Gaskin took to 
this news about other running backs coming in was wildly different than somebody like Preston Williams. Now, one of those guys is still here. The other is (laughs) not. Uh, But since Miles Gaskin is here, he decided to get rid of that 37 and he's now number three, which is kind of cool for running back number three back there. So uh, you have Chase Edmonds, number two, you have Miles Gaskin, number three, and you have Tua Tungabailoa, number one. I want to see a package, a pistol formation where you've got both Gaskin on the right and, and, and Chase Edmonds on the left of Tua Tungabailoa. And it's just going to say, you know, two, one, three or one, two, three, or whatever it's going to be. I think that, I think that's really cool for some reason. And some people, not smart people, but some people are hypothesizing that that has been the problem for miles Gaskin is he just had the wrong number. Chris, it's like the 19 in the wide receiver room, 37 as a running back, not a cool number. Very ugly. Number three, sleek, slim, get ready for miles Gaskin season. Two reasons why I like the number change. One, 37. What are you, Carnell Lake? Like, yeah. no, terrible. Yeah. Three, I like because my buddy, shout out to Kyle Lucas, was uh, I was a fullback. He was a running back. He was number three, and I was number 33. So it was really cool, us in the backfield. So I love seeing a running back do that. And, and Sam, I want to run the triple option with one, two, three. You know, we call them the one, two, three kids, right? We're wrestling fans. We, we haven't brought that up in a while. Yeah, that's the package. They can call one, two, three kid or X Pac is the package. That'd be kind of cool. That's something I would do as a coach. Um, really exciting about, uh, also, you mentioned Eric um, Ekuzama. He actually changed his number as well. So yep. with Preston Williams being released, he is now number 18, which doesn't have that 19 curse that Teddy Ginn and um, Brandon Marshall when he was here and um, uh, who recently just, uh, that's right, Jakeem Grant um, it had, <laughs> but um, he changed it to 18. So hopefully he makes that his number. He wore 13 in college. Oddly enough, Sam, that was not available for some reason. Yeah, Don't know why. Nobody's put in a claim here for the Miami Dolphins. No writing candidates for 13. I guess, you know, lots of respect to Jake Scott back in the day, I'm supposed Absolutely. To. It has to be yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the other thing it's cool is that like Miles Gaskin is now number three and he's third on the depth chart. So uh, maybe there was something to tie in there. Just a little, the disrespect of Miles Gaskin. I'm going to put a three on my back since you put a three on the paper next to my name. Um, but yeah, we got a couple number changes out there. So when you're, you're, you're watching the game against the New England Patriots on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, which, by the way, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, the last episode, I was lamenting the fact that I had soccer pictures at the same time as this game. The new schedule has come out and they have changed my soccer Whoa. team pictures to 1:40 p.m. Pacific which means I can watch this entire game the pictures are walking distance from my house Chris so I can watch this in the comfort of my living room and then just saunter on down the road take the pictures with my team the monster squad and then come on back and start talking shit to Patriots fans so I'm excited Wow. Exciting stuff, guys. I'm going to go ahead and give a clap there. Sam will actually be able to watch the game that he hosts a podcast for for half a decade. He gets to watch the game live. I'm actually excited for you for that. Um, I know every year you those pitchers have eluded the game, so I'm glad whoever made that schedule change. Maybe I made a call. You know, two-time uh, Hall of Famer. Maybe I made a call. You no. never know. You know, the, you, get, you got the orange and aqua jacket two times over, and you suggested that maybe we change when pictures happen and uh, things happen, man. We spoke it into existence. So everything is good. We'll be ready to walk and talk about the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins in segment number three. But we have a special guest here, Chris. And I don't know if you can handle this. This guy, he's a writer for the Boston Globe. He's written books about the New England Patriots. He's an award-winning reporter. I don't know what lie I told him to come on this show, but it worked. Uh, I'm going to sit down with Mr. Christopher Price and talk about all things 
New England Patriots get his take on what's going on with Devontae Parker, Lynn Bowden Jr., because wouldn't you know it, Lynn Bowden Jr. all of a sudden is a New England Patriot, and we're playing the New England Patriots for the 11th time as a season opener, and Bill Belichick for the 11th time has signed a former Miami Dolphins player to come and just hang out with the team at least for a week. I'm going to get all of that and more from Christopher Price right after these words. Joining us now behind enemy lines, views from the other side, outside looking in. He's a reporter for the Boston Globe. He's written written many books about those dastardly New England Patriots, including uh, The Blueprint, Drive for Five, and The Complete Illustrated History of the New England Patriots. He also has a podcast called The Patriots Report with former Patriot Garrett Blunt, Mr. Christopher Price. Christopher, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How you doing, man? You know, like we were talking about a little bit off air, it's it's uh, here in Northern California, it's about 116 degrees today. So <laughs> uh, however good you can be in that type of heat, I am. But uh, exactly. struggling to uh, <laughs> really acclimate to this heat. It's more of a dry heat here in Northern California than Well, it's okay. So there you go. There, yeah. yeah, that's okay then. That That's the justification, I think, that people go, well, it's a dry heat. It's not like Miami, which we'll talk about here in a second, which is not a dry heat. However, 116 is 116. So mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's a dry heat or a very, very moist heat, it's still hot. And uh, that's what I'm struggling with here. But uh, let's just get into it because the New England Patriots, well, there's so much I need to learn about this team right now. Number one, I need to hear it from an authority, which you are. We already went through your credentials here. Are we looking at a post-dynasty New England Patriots? Are we officially beyond the New England Patriots dynasty that seemed to have lasted for about a millennia? Uh, are we officially beyond that and into a new era for New England Patriots football? Yeah, there's only, I think, three guys left on the roster who were part of uh, those championship teams even a couple of years ago. So, yeah, we are we are firmly in the post-dynasty era, and you can even chop up the dynasties. You know, you could say up here people talk about the first half of the dynasty, you know, with 01, 03, 04, and then the second half, you know, the one from a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I think now we have transitioned in New England to the post-dynasty era. And it's fascinating to see the level of expectation people have for this team because I think there's a real feeling of, okay, look, they're probably not a Super Bowl team right now. Even the most hardcore Patriots fans understand that. But what should be expected of them? Are they a playoff team? Are they a one or two in playoff team? The owner um, earlier this spring talked about, you know, hey, look, we got to win a playoff game. We have, we have to be able to get back there. So it, it is. To ultimately answer your question, we are in the post-dynasty era, and it's fascinating to see how people are reacting to it. I, I have to tell you, um, we're, we're just getting off here on the right foot, but it feels so good to hear a reporter from the Boston Globe confirm that the Patriots dynasty is over, ladies and gentlemen, whether it was one, whether it was two citizens of Perfectville, we have confirmation. We are in a post-dynasty era for the New England Patriots. That being said, this Patriots team went to the playoffs last year with a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. Uh, What's your take on Mac Jones? Because from my point of view, we tend to feel here as Dolphins fans and people who follow the team that Tua Tungabailoa gets a bad rap on the national level. If you're actually watching Tua day in, day out at many camps and preseasons, you see things that you go, wow, people are just aren't paying attention. This narrative around him seems to be false. On the flip side of that, from the outside looking in to the New England Patriots, it seems like Mac Jones can do no wrong. He walks on water holding Tom Brady's hand, and we see things on tape that go, Okay, but that's worse than what we're seeing at Tua, and Tua's getting filleted for mm-hmm. a 51-yard completion, yet Mac Jones throws it into the entire Raiders defense in preseason, and no big deal. So mm-hmm. what is the, I guess, local narrative on Mac Jones? Are people excited about him going into year two? He did make the Pro Bowl last year. He did lead the Patriots to the playoffs. 
but is he the guy for the New England Patriots? He's the guy. He is. Uh, I, I think that people generally have faith in Mac and like him and understand that, look, he's coming into a situation, a really difficult situation uh, you know, last year, trying to get this team to the postseason. He was able to do it. He played three quarters of the season. He played really good football for three quarters of the season. He seemed to, whether it was the league figured him out or he hit a rookie wall, whatever the case may be, he struggled down the stretch. And really, I think as a result, it wasn't a coincidence. The rest of the team struggled down the stretch. Look, it all comes back to him this year. If he continues to make the level of progression that we saw him make as a rookie, then I think there's a real possibility that this is a playoff team and a team that could theoretically win a playoff game or two. If he regresses for whatever reason, if he gets hurt, if there's struggles, uh, you, you know, when you're talking about who's calling the plays and the relationship there, he was very, very comfortable with Josh McDaniels. If he does take a step back, then I think this team is in, I don't want to say they're in trouble, but they're not going to make the playoffs if Mac Jones takes a step back. What I want to see from Mac now is take more ownership of the offense moving forward, whether it's opening up the passing game with, you know, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, uh, whether it's having more of a say in, you know, the play calling, whatever the case may be. This is him now kind of coming into his own, coming into you know, Mac Jones, year two, this is the guy who he should be, you know, following in the footsteps of Tom Brady. So let's talk about that offense because you brought up something that we have experience with here down in South Florida, and that is the, I guess, for lack of a better term, because I don't think they have titles. Bill Belichick does not believe in titles anymore. Very interesting guy that we could probably spend an entire podcast or two mm -hmm. just talking about his mindset on things. But uh, co-offensive coordinators, for for lack of a better term, uh, offensive, I don't know, offensive people, humanoids. I don't know what he's actually calling them these days. It seems to be, I mean, again, from the outside looking in, it does seem to be creating some confusion. It does seem to uh, maybe have some problems in New England, which we're not used to seeing or hearing about anyway. Uh, has that been a case? Is it an issue with Josh McDaniels moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders of some confusion as to who's calling the plays, who's designing the plays, who's actually running this offense uh, outside of the quarterback, Mac Jones? Well, there are three guys. It's Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, and Bill Belichick. And look, my own personal philosophy is sometime between now and the end of the season, you're going to see Bill Belichick call plays for an extended period of time because we've seen this in the Belichick Parcells kind of tree of coaches where the head coach, you know, maybe gets dissatisfied or disenchanted with whatever the case may be with, you know, the, the offensive coordinator just takes it over. And so I can envision a scenario where Belichick does that on the offensive side of the ball. I, I will say also, too, he feels probably feels pretty good about the defense. So I'm not going to say he's going to kind of put it off to the side, but I can envision a scenario where he's calling plays. Um, we saw them split, really, Judge and Patricia over the course of preseason as well as training camp. So I don't want to say it's going to be a collective, but I think it's going to shake out. I, I do. I think it's going to shake out. And I think you're going to see one guy emerge as the primary play caller. Um, my guess is it's going to be Patricia. But again, I think sometime over the course of this season, you're going to see Bill emerge as the de facto offensive coordinator. 
you know, it's it's so interesting. We're used to quarterback competitions in preseason. We're not used to offensive coordinator competitions. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I personally, given Joe Judge's history and 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 the size of Matt Patricia, I wouldn't mind if the, those two just had a fist fight, a boxing match, to figure <laughs> out who was going to be the offensive coordinator for this team going forward. I would personally enjoy that. You put that on pay per view, and you could sell some tickets there. Uh, but you did talk about the defense. You said he's feeling pretty comfortable about the defense. Let's get into the personnel for the New England Patriots. By the way, you're listening to Christopher Price here on Welcome to Perfectville, reporter for the Boston Globe, talking week one, New England Patriots visiting the Miami Dolphins. In fact, I think the Patriots are down in South Florida, which we'll talk about going back to our discussion about heat here in just a second. But this defense, uh, again, looking at this offensively, this is Mac Jones team, as you as you alluded to. He has to lead. He has to step up if this team's going to do anything going forward. Give me somebody on defense and somebody not named Mac Jones on offense that Miami Dolphins fans absolutely need to pay attention to. That After this game, we're going to say Christopher Price was right. We absolutely needed to know that name and number. Who's the guy on defense and who's the other guy on offense not named Mac Jones? I don't want to put the perfect curse on these guys, but uh, look, I'm going to look at and I'll bottom line it for you. I'll kind of weasel my way out of the situation by saying someone on defense with the last name of Jones, whether it's Jonathan Jones Marcus Jones or Jack Jones, all defensive backs. Jonathan Jones has a greater role in this year's defense. He was the slot corner the last couple of years. He's now moved up to be a boundary guy alongside or opposite Jalen Mills. He is going to have a lot on his plate. He's a guy who really worked to contain Tyreek Hill when Tyreek Hill was in Kansas City. I think there's going to be an awful lot on his plate going into this game. Uh, look, he's a starter, so you, you're going to kind of expect that. But I also think that this game is really going to serve as a great test for New England's young secondary, particularly Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. Jack Jones, uh, both, of, both of those guys actually, rookies, defensive backs, who played a, I don't want to say a sizable role in the in the preseason, but but got an awful lot of snaps and got an awful lot of time. And I think that to me is a sign that they are angling them for bigger things when it comes to this opener. So I think on defense, you look at one of those three guys, those the, the really the secondary is going to have an outsized role in this game. But those three guys, I think the, the Patriots need one or all three of them, preferably to be able to step up. Another thing I like about Marcus Jones, Marcus Jones out of University of Houston played some uh, played some offense as well, played some special teams. He's a guy that Belichick has liked uh, simply because of his versatility. He can do an awful lot of things. And I think you're going to see him have a larger role as the season goes on. Maybe not so much in week one, but I think, you know, Looking at this New England roster, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to do bigger things sooner rather than later. On offense, this team really, like I said before, it's about Mac Jones, but they're going to go, they rely really heavily on the run game. And I think they're not going to win a lot of shootouts. I'll put it that way. You're going to see Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson. It, it, really, those guys are going to have to be the guys who are going to move the offense when you're talking about on the ground. Um, for me, I'll go with Stevenson as the guy because Stevenson right now is kind of the backup to Damian Harris, but with no James White on the roster, they really don't have a third down back. And it felt like over the course of the preseason, they were kind of grooming Stevenson a little bit to be that guy. He doesn't have the body type. You know, when you think about New England's traditional third down backs, James White, right. Kevin Falk, you know, Danny Woodhead, he's a bigger guy but he showed an ability to catch passes out of the backfield. I think Stevenson's going to have a little bit of a larger role this season than he had last year, a little bit more of a versatile role this season. So I would look for him to be one of those guys out of the backfield to be a bit of a security blanket for Mac Jones when it comes to, you know, they need to pick up six yards, third and five, you know, hit him out of the backfield and he's able to pick it up. 
Yeah, I'm still not convinced that Kevin Falk isn't somewhere on that roster. That guy's <laughs> given me nightmares for 20-some-odd years, and I feel like he snuck into a game last year, and I'm like, I know that guy. Wait a second. He's supposed yep. to be retired long, Forever. long ago. Forever. He played for that team. He played for and Bill loved him. Bill loved him. I, he was one of the best guys. Who, reliable. And those are the guys, too. It's actually interesting. When you talk about those third down backs, James White was the same way. Yeah. You know, James White, uh, Danny Woodhead, Dion Lewis, you know, going all the way back to Falk. And it's been, a, I think it's going to be a challenge for this team this year to be able to replace that traditional third down back because they such an important part of the offense for such a long time. Can Stevenson do it? Maybe one of the rookies. We'll see. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting you said about Marcus Jones, too, playing a little bit of offense. That is one area, begrudgingly, I have to give Bill Belichick credit, is that even I was looking at highlights from a 2004 game, that Monday Night Football, where the Dolphins wore the orange jerseys, and somehow A.J. Feely led him back from uh, from behind against the Tom Brady, pretty much at his prime, at his peak, although that's hard to even think about a time where Tom Brady wasn't at his prime or his peak anymore, but... Um, Troy Brown was playing defense on mm-hmm. the on the touchdown to Darius Thompson. Uh, you know, obviously Gronk didn't have the angle way back when, but you you even look at some of those defensive <laughs> yeah. players that have scored touchdowns for the New England yeah. Patriots over the years. That is one of those calling cards from Bill Belichick is that versatility of putting somebody in a non-traditional role, like a linebacker playing a running back or a wide receiver playing defensive back to end the game or whatever the case may be. Uh, very much underrated from Bill Belichick in terms of his game planning. One of the things that we might see this year, I know that it was a struggle for Jonu Smith to be able to get up to speed in the offense last season. For whatever reason, it really didn't click at times. And a lot of people looked at last season as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a down year for him. He's a guy who I think they can move around a little bit. I'm not saying that you know, you're going to see him playing defense, but I think Jonu Smith is the kind of guy they can line up in the backfield. They can line up, you know, flush against the, 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 the tackles, but out wide. So he might be a candidate to do a little bit more of that this season. Yeah, that's a good call, I think, too, because Hunter Henry is is clearly tight end one there and had pretty much a career renaissance going to New England last year. And Jonu Smith, two years ago with the Titans, was a monster, an absolute animal that Ryan Tannehill found all over the field. And you really didn't see much from him last year, at least not what I think you would have expected. Um, So I like that, too. Jonu Smith, Ramonde Stevenson on offense are the guys for the citizens of Perfect out there that you need to pay attention to outside of Mac Jones on offense and the Jones brothers, uh, whether it's. Jonathan Marcus or Jack on, on defense uh, is what uh, Christopher Price is telling us about this New England Patriots defense. Now, let's talk about this team in general. Uh, we talked about the heat here in California, 116. It's a dry heat, as we know, Chris, but uh, it is not a dry heat in South Florida. Reports are that the New England Patriots have already flown down to South Florida and are practicing in that humidity. Uh, I have been to South Florida. I'm sure you have as well. I don't know that a week is going to cut it. If they had started no. in June, Perhaps they'd be acclimated for that weather, but that I, I have become awfully dehydrated just standing around watching a Miami Dolphins game, let alone playing in that heat, in that moisture. Uh, what are the the Patriots have to do beyond trying to get acclimated to beat the Miami Dolphins week one? It's going to be a struggle for them. It's always a struggle down there. I will say this, their issues with the Dolphins in Miami predominantly come later in the year. Under Belichick, they've actually played relatively well down there when they've had to go down there in September and October. The real struggles, the Miami Miracle, you know, what we've seen the last couple of years have come later in the season. And so if you're the Patriots, it's you you want to make the best of a, you know, an uncomfortable situation. You need to slow the game down, too. Like I said before, look, Miami, it's no secret. You know, you guys know it. They're a fast team. And, you know, it's going to be a track meet. What you want to do is you want to put together some seven, eight, nine minute drives. You want to be able to slow the game down. You want to win a game. 17 to 13 
as opposed to, you know, 38-34. You know, you have a better chance to win that kind of game. You have to be able to lean on guys like Harris. You have to be able to lean on guys like Stevenson. And if you're New England in this one, you need to be able to lean on your depth, the offensive skill position guys. You know, maybe this is a big game for Kendrick Bourne, who we really didn't see an awful lot of over the course of the preseason. You know, you're going to, again, like I said before, maybe this is a bigger game for Stevenson than it is for Damian Harris. You are going to have to get standout performances across the board from your offensive skill position players because they're going to take a lot of reps. You know, in that heat, it's going to be difficult to maintain that level of intensity. So you're going to have to be able to lean on those guys that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have to lean on, you know, come week two when you're in Pittsburgh, you know, just from a personnel perspective. So that's really, for me, going to be the key, that can those second and third guys perform at a level that you need them to perform to be able to provide support for those starters? Yeah, a couple of more questions for you. Uh, number one, you said Pittsburgh week two. I'm looking at this Miami Dolphins schedule, and the first four weeks are brutal. I mean, we have the Patriots. We're on the road against the Ravens. We're on the road against Buffalo. Or no, we're home against Buffalo, and then a short week with the Cincinnati Bengals. So nothing like coming out of the gate with the New England Patriots, you know, your bitter rival over the last 20-some-odd years and the Division King, plus the new Division Kings with the Bills. And then, oh, by the way, very tough matchups with the Ra- Ravens and the Bengals. And I have been telling everybody, pump the brakes. If we come out of this 2-2, two and two, this team is going to look good at the rest of the season. I feel like the Miami Dolphins are a team that by the end of the year are going to be much better than they are at the beginning of the year for a number of reasons, including a rookie head coach. Where do you stand on the New England Patriots? Are they going to be stronger, better, faster at the end of the year? Or is this a team that's going to maybe come out hot and and start to taper off down the road? I think looking at their schedule in the same fashion, that this is a team that has a chance to come out hot, that has a chance to come out and, and put up some good numbers early. The question is whether they can sustain it down the road, because as you know, as we're talking here, I'm looking at the you know the schedule, and so it, it's a it's a challenge for them as the year goes on because they get into November and December, they get the Bengals, they get the Raiders, uh, they get the Bills, Cardinals, Vikings. It's not easy for them over the course of the second half of the season. So I think if you're a New England fan, you have to start you know thinking about making hay while the sun shines. Basically, you know, you you start out at Miami, that's a challenge, but then you have Pittsburgh which theoretically is a winnable game. You're home against Baltimore. You've always played well. If you're the Patriots, you've always played well against Harbaugh and the Ravens, especially at home. So you can start out well. Um, One of the things I think is fascinating about this team and Belichick's overall philosophy, and he's mentioned it a couple of times, is that, well, you know, it takes four, five, six weeks to kind of figure out the league and figure out where we are and figure out what kind of team you have. I don't know if they have that level of luxury because when they did in the past, look, you could still win some of those fluky games because you had Tom Brady to be able to paper over some of those deficiencies. This team doesn't have that. This team has an easier schedule at the start of the year than end of the year. I'm not saying that Belichick is going to change his overall philosophy at this, but I think it's really interesting to when you take a look at the schedule and you try to kind of mesh that with Bill's overall thinking, I think we may see a different sort of Patriots team this year with maybe a bit more urgency, maybe a bit more priority on the first you know month plus of games as they kind of gear up for that late season push. Yeah, it's interesting that you you, you bring that up. It's a great point. I'm wondering if you'll see more of the <clears throat> trickeration and the gadget plays early to to mm-hmm. to really solidify those wins or at least give yourself a shot at the quote-unquote easy wins uh, and gear themselves up for the tougher part of the schedule. Now, we've gone, I don't know, about 20 minutes here, Christopher, and we haven't talked about what I consider to be the elephant in the room. In fact, there's now two elephants in the room when we talk about the New England Patriots roster. One of those is that I would be shocked 
on all levels if Devontae Parker is not a captain for week one against the Miami Dolphins. It seems like a very Bill Belichick sort of thing. And number two, uh, a certain guy named Lynn Bowden Jr., who was on the Miami Dolphins for the last few years, uh, was waived, didn't make the team here for the Miami Dolphins. We were all sad to see him go, and we knew about three seconds after he was released that this was probably going to be the guy, because Bill does it every year, that he would pick up and pick his brain for the Miami Dolphins' uh, playbook. Uh, What are your thoughts on Devontae Parker? as a New England Patriot, and is Lynn Bowden Jr. going to be there week two against the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is he going to actually latch on for the New England Patriots, or is he just that guy that Bill picks up, scrapes his brain for everything, and then let's go after week one? I I think, look, nobody cannibalizes their own better than the AFC East. Really, I I honestly believe that. We see that across the the division, so I completely understand. I do think that Lynn Bowden is going to hang around for the same reason we talked about Marcus Jones, that versatility. He's, he can do a few things. You know, he, he played a bunch of different roles in college. And look, the bottom line is Bill's going to keep him around, I think, just for that alone. I think he likes guys who, you know, the, what they say around Foxborough, the more you can do, the more you can do for us. And so, yeah. you know, his track record suggests a guy who can do a few different things. So I think he's, you know, if, if I'm a betting man, I think he's staying around Foxborough. I will say this about Parker. They are betting that he is the Devontae Parker of a couple of years ago. If he is, if he's a thousand yard guy, that's going to make Mac's job a whole lot easier. Um, they haven't named captains yet. They don't. They don't necessarily do game captains. They do captains over the course of the season. But you can be sure that Bill has whispered that in Devonte Parker's ear. That you know, not to go so far as say, look, man, it's a revenge game. You know, they didn't want you. Whatever the case may be, but Bill is a master at pushing buttons. Bill's really good at pushing buttons. And I have to believe if the Patriots win this thing and Devontae Parker has seven catches for 90 yards and a touchdown, they're going to make sure he gets a game ball. Put it that way. They're going to make sure that he is celebrated for the fact that he came back and beat his old team. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we all know that. We, as soon as that trade happened, we're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to get a spotlight on Devontae Parker whenever mm-hmm. he plays the Miami Dolphins going forward, as long as he's in that New England Patriots uh, uniform, which, by the way, makes him look fat. Just saying that those colors <laughs> don't do well for Devontae Parker. He doesn't look slim and trim anymore. But uh, this is the type of game where he'd come back, and everything on paper for me shows that the Miami Dolphins might have the edge here, especially being at home in September. You know, the talent and the offense and everything that they put together. But then all of a sudden, here comes Devontae Parker. And I think your stat line is exactly what that would be six catches 90 yards and a touchdown that seals it for the awful new england patriots but uh yeah lynn bowden jr is an interesting one the the best tweet i saw in the whole thing was that bill belichick didn't sign lynn bowden jr to figure out the playbook he signed lynn bowden jr so that he would have an actual quarterback on the team so i didn't put it out there it was an elite tweet ladies and gentlemen citizens of perfectville i'm just the messenger please don't shoot the messenger uh but speaking of which gun to your head christopher price who comes out on top of this game week one? New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, bitter rivals in South Florida, like you said. Traditionally speaking, Bill does quite well in South Florida uh, early in the season. But the troubles and the struggles that the New England Patriots have had, especially recently against the Miami Dolphins, regardless of time of season or where they're playing, uh, led me to believe the Dolphins have the new Patriots number. Uh, bottom line, nobody's going to quote you except for all of our listeners. Who wins this game and by how much? I think Miami ends up winning this thing just barely, like just like a field goal with a buzzer or something like that. I, I, I remain puzzled and I've watched an awful lot of it over the last few years, but I, I remain puzzled as to how Tua 
is undefeated against Bill. And that's not necessarily a knock against Tua, but just the way Bill is able to handle young quarterbacks. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Tua's, you know, Tua's had his number. He's 3-0 against him. And look, we can debate quarterback wins. I think it's kind of a Fugazi stat. But, look, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, the, he, he hasn't lost a bill. And, and I think that we're going to see probably we're going to see that roll on this week. I do. I, I think I think we're looking at a I don't know, like a 21-20 game. I do. I think it's I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be compelling. I think it's going to be dramatic. I don't think it's going to be necessarily all that good because they're two teams who are still obviously start of the year figuring things out. But I think Miami wins this thing just barely. Yeah, and uh, I would I would agree with you about quarterback wins and a stat. It's some are quarter some wins are quarterback stats and some are not. I would certainly say the Tua Tungavailoa led Dolphins over the Patriots. It's not Tua Tungavailoa. It's been the defense. It's been Xavier Howard, quite frankly, yeah. especially last season. I mean, he was the reason why I think we won both of those games. Uh, Christopher Price, thank you for joining us here behind enemy lines here, the town of Perfectville. Let everybody know where they can find you. Where where is the written word? Where's the spoken word? Everywhere. If anybody wants to uh, pay attention to doing the Patriots and everything you're doing in the Boston sports media, let everybody know where they can find you. Well, you can check out my stuff at bostonglobe.com backslash sports. You can also follow me on Twitter at cpriceglobe. That's cpriceglobe. I also have a book coming out in November, my sixth book, A History of the Hartford Whalers. If you're a hockey fan, if you are into WHA, NHL nostalgia, it was a blast to put together to be able to talk to guys like Ron Francis and Kevin Deneen and Mike Leute and hear some of those old fun stories. That was an awful lot of fun to do. And that's coming out in November. Yeah, I, uh, I, we were talking, I'm a hockey head at, at heart and, you know, all, all those teams that I actually cut my teeth rooting for, or at least paying attention to a lot of them aren't around anymore. You know, the, the Carolina, Hur- Carolina hurricanes, you got the Colorado avalanche, uh, you know, all these teams that were the Quebec Nordiques and the Hartford whalers, by the way, Hartford whalers may be top five logo mm-hmm. in sports yeah. history. I mean, it's, yeah. if you've never seen the Hartford, Hartford whalers logo, go do yourself a history lesson, Google it, Bing it whatever search engine you want to use and uh, look at that and realize just the it's a chef's kiss in terms of logos. Yeah, they perfect. don't make them like that anymore. It's perfect. It really is perfect. I talked to the guy who created it and he said they did it in like 20 minutes and they just kind of you know, in, a, in a conversation with the former owner. And it's now, like you say, it's an iconic logo. It's still one of the greatest logos in the history of North American professional sports. Absolutely. 100%. Well, Christopher Price, thank you very much for joining us here behind enemy lines. I'm looking forward to a fun, fun game. Uh, I happen to agree with you. I think the, the Dolphins are winning this one. Uh, 21-20 is a little bit too close for my liking. I would uh, I would like to see us maybe uh, do exactly what you you said, you know, outrun the team and just run them off the field. But uh, I'll take a 21-20 opening day victory against the New England Patriots. Thank you very much. And uh, from all of us here, goodbye from Perfectville. What is up, Perfectville fans? Cam Rogers with you, host of the Lock It In show right here on Believe, giving you my best bet for the Dolphins taking on the Patriots. The Dolphins are laying two and a half in this matchup. Here's the deal. Miami is going to win. Miami is going to cover. The Dolphins are four and one against the spread in their last five games against the Patriots. The Patriots are two and seven against the spread in their last nine games in Miami. The Patriots went to Miami early this week in hopes of preparing better. That is a sign of desperation and more. From the Patriots and this first-team offense this preseason, seven drives, all against backups. Four of those were three and outs. One ended up in an INT. One resulted in a touchdown. One resulted in a field goal. That's not a great mixture 
of results there. Miami should be in for a pretty decent season here this year. I'm excited about this defense, the offense too. Of course, Tyreek Hill is the story there. So Miami gets to 1-0. The Patriots go to Miami early only to lose on Sunday. Follow me on Twitter at MrRogers99 and get at me with your thoughts on my selection. Dolphins win. And we're back. And as Chris Cullen alluded to during the commercial break, it is good to be back. It's good to be back during the regular season. It's good to be back talking to Chris Cullen here in the town of Perfectville, part of the Believe Network, streaming on Sirius XM and TuneIn Radio, presented by BetOnline.ag. And uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on Christopher Price? It's always weird when we have multiple Chris's. It's like a multiverse. It's like a Marvel comic book series when I have more than one Chris here on the show. But Christopher Price, reporter from the Boston Globe, predicted a Miami Dolphins victory here in week one, despite the fact that Bill Belichick traditionally does quite well in South Florida in September. Christopher Price turns his back on Patriots Nation and proclaims the Miami Dolphins to be victorious this Sunday. Your thoughts on Christopher Price. Great interview. Yeah, I was so sick of always being in a room with multiple Chris's. That's actually why I had to step out and just let you take over the interview. So it's going to be back. He, he sounded good. Um, it, it is interesting that he picked the Dolphins. Uh, it's almost like that's some reverse psychology stuff because of such a close score. Um, I'm going to disagree with him on the closeness of the score, which is the radio tease. We'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. When it comes from the perspective of somebody that's covering the team that's around it, that's around the franchise, uh, the insights he had on Bill Belichick and and what you know his plans of signing other players and and just all in all, everything when it comes to the play calling and stuff like that. Uh, super super good stuff. Uh, nice job. I don't know how you you pulled it, but uh, let's keep getting award winners on the team. Yeah, anytime we can have an award-winning reporter from the Boston Globe, um, that's going to go in the old resume when I start pitching other people to come on the show. I'm be like, oh, yeah, we've had Jamie Nails. We've had you know uh, all these different players, but uh, we got award-winning reporters and authors out there. And then all of a sudden, we're going to start seeing more and more people jumping into the town of Perfectville, staking their claim to be one of the best guests ever. Uh, speaking of best, one of the best segments we've ever done, Chris. And uh, back by popular demand, we are up against the New England Patriots here, which is an AFC East rival. And uh, I don't like talking more about the AFC East than we actually have to, but they do deserve some of our time. So let's spend, for old time's sake, a second on the AFC East. This is a second on the AFC East. Zach Wilson out four weeks. That was a second on the AFC East. <laughs> and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Zach Wilson. Uh, mom fucker and bad quarterback out for the next month for the New York Jets. And there's your second on the AFC East. Let's talk about the Patriots. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. We have the okayest fantasy league ever, and we have the okayest game preview ever. New England Patriots travel down to South Florida to play your Miami Dolphins in Miami at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Football is back. Now, all-time series. Miami Dolphins lead, I think, like 59 to 54. Very close. But when it comes to season openers, Chris, these two teams have matched up 10 times prior to this upcoming Sunday. Care to guess the record from the Patriots and Dolphins on season openers? Uh, seven and three Patriots. Five and five, 100% down the middle. This is the rubber match, the tiebreaker, the 11th time these two franchises will meet on opening day. And guess what? It's going to happen with the Miami Dolphins favored 
coming wow. into this game, which is when's the last time the Miami Dolphins were, you know, favored coming into a season against doing the Patriots. I can't even remember when that was. This is the third season in a row that we've had a season opener against the New England Patriots. Let's just get into it, Chris. Where do you see this one going? Who's doing what? Who's not doing what? And let's just get into the matchups. Let's get into the coaches. Let's get into predictions. Let's do it. Go on. I'm excited, Sam. This is the first game, not even just uh, of the season, but it's the first game for Mike McDaniel, right? He's going to have those nerves. Um, we're going to talk about the players, the matchups. There's going to be things we need to look at forward to, Sam. This is his first time managing a game, right? Challenge flags, uh, arguing with referees, calling timeout at impromptu times. He's done it in the preseason a couple of games, but this is like, you know, live bullets here. Um, and he's going up against <laughs> arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time and Bill Belichick. So it's going to be really cool to see what he comes up with um, to start the game as far as a script for his offense. We have to give Tua time to throw. Uh, we have to utilize our speed there. I think we need to get to a started early, even if it's a few rollouts on dump offs to, to chase Edmonds and to Gesicki, um, just to get those completions underway, the, the butterflies out. I'm so excited to see um, our fans, Sam. And when our defense takes the field, we have to keep confusing Mac Jones like we did in the two, two uh, games we had against him last season, where he looked uh, less than normal as our average, I guess, for an NFL rookie. Um comparably to like them going to the playoffs and what the national media actually said about him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, get to a starter early, have some balance on offense, manage the game. Well, McDaniel and defense do your thing. What about you? So question about that. Let's, let's just stick on what you said there. Cause I like your game plan, but you said, get to a off early, right? Get them, get them going, get them into a groove. Don't laugh <laughs> at that. I said that on purpose, but I was hoping you would be a professional. Apparently not. That's why never. it's the okayest. <laughs> yeah. Never preview. Uh, he just giggled like a girl because I said, get to a off early. So there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're still perfect. Bill corporate. Perfect. Bill is still perfect. Bill <laughs> will crotch chop in our business suits. Uh, so if we win the toss to start the game, what are you doing if you're Mike McDaniel? Are you taking the ball and getting Tula out on the field with that crowd? Or are you putting your defense out there early and trying to get a stop and go into the second half with the offense? Brian Flores notoriously always deferred and put his defense on. I want Mike McDaniel to stake the damn flag down, and I want to, I want to take the ball. I want the crowd to be pumped for the kickoff. When we run on the field, set the tone early. We talked a few weeks ago about how this defense has been built to play with a lead, Sam. So now all of a sudden you get seven. Let's say we get seven. And all of a sudden, Mac Jones, now you, you got to at least score one to win this game. There's no three nothing ball games here. Now the defense is coming out. The crowd is fucking amped to the 11 because the offense scored. Man, that could set up for like a turnover, a three and out. And that, that just sets the momentum for the rest of the game. Take the ball, McDaniel. I would agree. I would say if you could start the ball on offense, that's the way to go for a number of reasons. Number one, the crowd wants to see Terry kill. The crowd wants to see Jalen Waddle. The crowd wants to see Tua Tunga Bailoa. They want to see this offense that you spent the entire offseason rebuilding go out there and do their thing. So if you can get the ball, I think you go and do that and start because you're absolutely right. This defense has been designed to play with the lead. And if you can go get that lead early, this defense can then do what they do best, which is also to help mitigate that defensive backfield for us, which is hurting right now, right? With, with Byron Jones being down. Here's the other thing is why I want Tua out there early. This defense for the New England Patriots is pretty good. 
I'll give them credit. They're pretty good, but they got a lot of young players in that defensive backfield. And if you can get Tyreek eating them up early, if you can get Jalen Waddle eating them up early, if you can get Mike Gesicki knocking them down as he's running for yards after the catch, they're going to start having doubts in their brain. And then what's going to happen later is you're going to start to see that humidity and that heat of South Florida soak into those disgusting deep blue jerseys of theirs. And all of a sudden, the floodgates are going to open. So I agree. You start with the ball. If that is the option, I 100% agree with you there. Now, uh, I think this game, I disagree with Christopher Price, just like you do. I do think this game is going to be a little bit more high scoring and maybe more of a little bit of a disparity. I do not believe in the New England Patriots this season until they can show me that they were that playoff team that somehow made the playoffs last year. I don't believe that they are the guy. You know, they're just not. I don't think that... Mac Jones knows what he's doing back there. I think they're very confused on the offensive play calling and offensive coordination of that team. And I think, especially in South Florida, and given the recent history of Tua Tungabailoa over Bill Belichick, even Christopher Price alluded to it. He's not quite sure the ownage and why it's there because usually Bill Belichick owns young and rookie quarterbacks. That's not the case with Tua Tungabailoa. I see this being much more of a high scoring game for the Miami Dolphins. So while Christopher Price has this 21-20, I'm seeing this more of a 28 or 31-point explosion, if you will, by the Miami Dolphins against a mediocre New England Patriots team, which if they get to 20 points, I would be surprised. So I'm going to go 31-20 to Miami Dolphins over the New England Patriots, and I'm going to explain how they're going to do that. They're going to come out early, and they're going to get points early, whether that's a field goal or a touchdown. I don't know. We'll just decide during the game. But I think the pressure is going to be on from the defensive side of the ball. I feel like our defense has been undervalued and underrated. And I think this is the perfect game of the first four for them to reclaim where they have been the last couple of years. I see a defensive score in this game. I see at least one touchdown pass from Tua Tungavailoa, if not two. And I see this running game being way more important in the second half of the Miami Dolphins than people are giving it credit for. What say you? Yeah, so score prediction for me, we're we're pretty similar when it comes to our our feelings on this, um, and pretty similar in in uh, the score itself, which is always textbook perfect. Bill Sam and Chris, um, I'm with you, man. I just don't. The, the, nothing scares me about the Patriots' offense. I mean, like their best receiver was uh, traded by us because we didn't care. Like Devontae Parker, um, will he have his catches and have a game? Probably. Um, but I just, I trust our defense. I trust our defense. Our DBs are going to be hungry. Javon Holland um, is going to set the tone with our pass rush. And it's just going to be tough for Mac Jones, who has no kind of like running ability that, that worries me where we can sit back, rush the passer, do our thing in the, in the backfield and um, go to work. Sam, my score for this game. And if you're going to be optimistic uh, before week one is when you do it. And I'm excited here. The Miami Dolphins are going to come into Hard Rock Stadium with a very tough four-game stretch, and we're going to start the national attention immediately against New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, and we're going to win this game 34-17. to 34-17, doubling them up, lapping the New England Patriots is how Chris Cullen sees the Miami Dolphins starting this season. I got it 31-20. Our esteemed guest, Christopher Price, has it 21-20. Much more of a nail-biter from him. For the Miami Dolphins, either way, no matter how you cut it, it's a clean sweep here in the town of Perfectville with Believe hosts saying the Miami Dolphins over the New England Patriots here in week one. And here's that extra wrinkle, Chris. Why don't you share with our audience what we just saw come across the wire as it pertains to Tua Tungavailoa, his new left tackle and a certain Hall of Fame quarterback? Yeah, during uh, Devon Armstead's press conference, 
he alluded to the possibility of getting to uh, uh, in touch with or, or or hooking up with Drew Brees, who notoriously, other than Russell Wilson, to is uh, compared to as far as height, arm strength, things like that. Well, Hal Habib, uh, who covers the Dolphins and writes for the Miami Dolphins, uh, there was a press conference mid-recording session between me and you, so I wanted to just mention it, that said Tua said during his interview that Teron Armstead did in fact hook him up with Drew Brees. Does that mean did they work together on the field? Did they just go over X's and O's? We don't know. There wasn't more specifics to that. But how exciting that Drew Brees took time out of his day to even work with Tua. I think that just shows how he feels about him as a person. Um, Trevon Armstead protected him, so maybe he's doing him a favor. But honestly, professionally, he probably wants to help Tua Tungavailoa. And any help we can get for him to be a better quarterback, and if it's coming from the Hall of Famer himself, Drew Brees, I'll take it. We went from Charlie Fry last year to Drew Brees this year in terms of coaching up to a tongue of Iloa. No matter how you cut that cake, it's an upgrade. Uh, all right, so we all have the Miami Dolphins winning this game. Uh, my question to you, who scores the first touchdown for the Miami Dolphins? Who's the guy with the ball in the end zone with the weird celebration first? So <laughs> it's not a ridiculous prediction, but uh, I'm going to, I want this to be pretty interesting. Ready? So Waddle and Hill get us down the field. Okay. They do. They make a couple plays here or there. First touchdown for the Miami Dolphins will be a rollout dump off to fullback Alec Ingold. Just to absolutely, I'm, I'm going to bet that on Caesars just because it's going to be plus 1500 and I can put 20 bucks down on that. And if I speak that into existence, I'll win a couple of bucks. That guy has been in an orange jersey all preseason. No one knows about him. Kyle Juszczyk and the fullbacks are a huge part of what Mike McDaniel does in his offense. Alec Ingold, first touchdown of the Miami Dolphins uh, 2022 season. I was going to say, he's such an unknown that you even called him Alex Ingold instead of Alec Ingold, but you corrected yourself there on the second time around. Alec Ingold for the first touchdown. If Alec Ingold is the guy who scores the touchdown, there's going to be, I don't know, I'm going to be mad. I feel like I'm going to be mad if that's the case. I'm going to go with the more popular option of Raheem Mostert, fuck it. I don't know. Another just guy who's run that Niners offense. You know, too, is going to try to force it to, to Tyreek, yeah. even if it's like a contested catch that he has to throw kind of low on a hitch route in the end zone because everybody wants Tyreek to score. The crowd will go nuts. New toy because it's not lost on Mike McDaniel and Tua. I mean, look at the one game he played in the preseason, first, game, first play, going deep. It's not lost on him that the fans want to see it. So I could see that happening. But, man, if he faked to the Tyreek Hill, imagine Hill's wide open standing there, his hands, and he – Dumps it to Alec Ingold. That'd be just fucking priceless. And it's like one of those things where it's a scrum on the goal line and he barely gets the ball over before the knee hits. And it's just so anticlimactic. That's what we want to see from this high octane offense here in the Miami <laughs> Dolphins and the town of Perfectville. Uh, but you're right about this too. Mike McDaniel did come out here recently. I think even today, Chris, and said, uh, one of the biggest challenges is not letting the, the the enormity of the moment and everything that you've worked for during the preseason and during training camp overwhelm you and try to do too much too early uh play within you know the scheme play within your talent level play within where you're supposed to be and i think we're going to be just fine so yeah i got raheem mostert getting the first points on the board you've got alec ingold we are very bullish on this running game apparently fullbacks and running backs baby we went from punters to kickers to fullbacks and running backs even though we have the fastest wide receiver duo and maybe the most talented overall tight end in the league but fuck it nope this is running back and fullback country baby Yep, we're all about running the ball. MM's coming from uh, the Shanahan tree. Uh, the next Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, one of the things I did pick Alec Ingold, like honestly, this what this does have a reason behind it, is when he left and signed with us, the outpouring from the fans of the Raiders 
that love this man so much when he played with their team. I was like, okay, this guy's cool. He's going to help us. He's going to be, a, he's, he was a captain uh, for the Raiders and just one of those guys that fan favorite. We're used to those, the great, great Camarillos, the Brian Hart lines. Um, he, I think he's going to be the next one on our offense, man. So excited about him. If he does get that first touchdown, he better come on the show. Cause I spoke that into existence. Well, there you go. I, uh, Last question for you before we part ways here. Where are you watching this game? Are you in the man cave? Are you out and about? What? Where is Christopher Cullen, the two-time Hall of Famer, watching the Miami Dolphins beat the New England Patriots, according to him, 34-17 on Sunday? Doing it in the man cave, baby. Dusting off the golden tea. Got the aqua walls all uh, dusted. The bar is nice and uh, coaster filled with coasters. The fridge will be filled and stocked. And it's going to be uh, it's a celebration, bitches. It's going to be great. You can tell we're getting older. You're like, the bar is fully stocked with coasters. Not vodka, not gin, not whiskey, not tequila, not beer. Coasters. Safe. Well, the fridge is full, too. Drinking. Yeah. <laughs> fridge is full, full as well with bush light, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, I'm going to be watching it from the comfort of my living room because I do have picture day directly after this game. But I am looking forward to a beatdown for the Miami Dolphins over the New England Patriots. I think it's going to be a very fun football Monday next week as we gear towards week two. But we got to get through week one here. Uh Chris, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? It's been a very fantabulous episode. Shout out to Tua, Captain C, baby. There he is, Captain Tua, leading the Miami Dolphins to victory, most likely, hopefully, fingers crossed, against those stupid New England Patriots on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, and 7 a.m. Hawaii time. Uh, On behalf of Chris Cullen, myself, the entire Believe Network, streaming on Sirius XM and TuneIn Radio, nothing left to say other than goodbye from Perfectville. Later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.